Um, when I got here this morning, I was feeling cold and all into myself. Um, and I, I went into that room there, and uh, Pat and I and Yvonne were praying. And I just saw this, uh, this vision of Jesus again. This isn't what I'm going to speak on, but I'm going to say it. It's, John says, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And then there's a description. And then John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand upon me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. <laughs> I was dead. But behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys. Death. And this is the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite expression. 83 times he calls himself. Son of man. And if you know you, the text, if you know your Bibles, you know this is a lift out of Daniel 7 where the Son of Man approaches, it says goes up to the Ancient of Days. It's played out in Matthew 24, if you can have eyes to see. The Son of Man goes into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And here in Revelation the Son of Man becomes the Ancient of Days. Look at him. His head and his hair were white like wool. That's the Ancient of Days. That means that Jesus of Nazareth has so pressed into the presence of God that he's not only become like him, he is him. It's just incredible. Jesus is the Ancient of Days. All mixed up with that is the wonderful Holy Spirit. This Trinitarian view of God that we've got to get hold of again. I remember when I became a Christian, I was so dead in trespasses and sins. I got sins in my life that I got no control over whatsoever. I was going to wreck not only my life, but the lives of those around me because I was so dominated by sexual failure and I thought no one could deliver me from this no one there isn't any power there isn't any power of positive thing there's no one and then I met Jesus of Nazareth and I saw him in a vision and he put his hand on me and I fell at his feet I was dead dead in trespasses and sins dead put his hand on me I said I thought you were dead I didn't know you were alive filled me with his Holy Spirit baptized me into his wonderful presence said I want you to be at my right hand because I put my right hand on you how God can lift the dregs of this earth how he can get us out of the gutter and raise us up.
to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And, you know, to different degrees, we're dead. You can have a testimony of the greatness of God and how Jesus baptized you in the Spirit like me 40-odd years ago, but it can just end up haunting you if you don't carry on being touched by the right hand of God. And this morning you may feel dead, but the living one is here. I tell you, he's here. He's reaching out his hand, his right hand, and he's touching us, kissing us back into life, into power, into anointing. Ah. Don't you love the gospel? Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Lord Jesus who's so flipping wonderful? Uh, I said all that because I don't know what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) And I've lost my notes as well. Um, We we are going to look. um, By the way, have you noticed that I've lost a bit of weight? Have you? I'm, I'm getting... I'm, I heard that. I'm getting into shape. And I would remind you that round is a shape. <laughs> My wife said to me when she first married me, you've got the body of a god, John. She still says it, but she says, oh, what's that? Oh, I should be in trouble. <laughs> So, just for a few minutes, because um, I, I just want to have some time for us to pray for one another, because I think some of us, uh, we prayed for Ken this morning, his back is not good at all. How's it feeling? A lot better than it was. That's good, isn't it? So, so we want to give an opportunity to pray for one another. But here it is, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. In one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished and they said, Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes? Residents of Mesopotamia, Elamites, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, England, Cretes and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying, what does this mean? Others were mocking. It's always someone who's got an answer for every manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They are full of sweet wine. (laughs) 
I never found that alcohol enabled me to speak in a foreign language, did you? <laughs> but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, is this me doing this? And declared to them, Men of Israel, let this be known to you. Give heed to my word. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above. Signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I won't read uh, the whole of that. Well, I said last time I spoke that this... It was written by a doctor, a scientist, a man used to being precise. And uh, this is written by a Gentile. This is not a Jewish book. And it, uh, this is his second go. And Luke and uh, Acts, you know, take up quite a bit of the New Testament. It's written to somebody called Theophilus, who probably... Theophilus means a lover of God. Theo and Philio uh, means a lover of God. But he probably ran some philosophical debating society in Rome where they loved to talk about new things and uh, it was probably him who was probably very interested Theophilus who also scored for Bromley yesterday in the 90th minute Ken at Braintree I noticed um, I You know, Bob uh, Mumford's been looking into my family history, and um, I'm so interested. I, I really want to know <laughs> about my genealogy, don't you? I, I don't know where it all comes from, all this kind of, is there something really good in our history somewhere? And uh, we, I've been doing the same. And I, you know, I told you, some of you, we've, we've had some interesting people, including a a film actress who is also a pole dancer and does psychic readings. So I bring her along here, shall I? <laughs> but that kind of, I want to know where I'm from, my history and my background. I, I feel it too, spiritually, which is what uh, the book of Acts was written for. It's, it's the history of the first 30 years of the church, one generation, it's written for us to know where we've come from. And where we've come from, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, we've come from a Jewish sect and a Jewish ghetto. And we need to know that because there's something about us right ingrained anxiety, something I need to know who I am, I need to know where I'm from and that's where we're from spiritually you're born again this morning our genealogy, it goes right back into 
the Acts of the Apostles and right back to Abraham. It, it is just incredible that through the cross we are linked into church history. That's what it's been written for so that we would get a grip of it and understand. Now, scholars have thought and debated a lot about when did the church start? Did it start when Pat read Ephesians this morning? He thought, you know, from before the foundation of the world, God foreknew and predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Christ. From before the, so you could say, well, the church uh, was formed in the mind of God from before the foundation of the world. Was it when Adam uh, walked with God? Was it when God asked Abraham to leave a centrally heated home in Ur of the Chaldees uh, and to walk and go to uh, Canaan? Was it when Moses led the twelve tribes? Of Israel. That's the first time, by the way, in the Sinai Desert that you get the word church. Was it when Jesus picked the 12 disciples, representing 12 new tribes? Was it when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Was that when the church was formed? But I would suggest and say, actually, The church uh, was formed on the day of Pentecost. It was constructed. It was formed. It was put together. But it needed the rockets to blast it into orbit. And this is the day when God ignited the engines and the whole thing took off. And went into orbit, and it's been going ever since. We're part of something so fantastic that blasted out of this Earth's orbit. The life of the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. It's got me above the down drag of gravity and the gravity of my sin. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, in his first body, on the banks of Jordan, on the muddy Jordan, it says he was praying and heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came like a dove and rested on him. The disciples in the upper room, they are praying. And as they're praying and anticipating and waiting, then heaven opens and the Holy Spirit comes. And Luke will emphasize again and again in this book of Acts that the, the, the position of prayer, how these guys, they just were Always praying. Now, I noticed this. What they did was, they prayed and they proclaimed. And as they prayed and as they proclaimed, 
So something happened. Power came. And when power came, multiplication came as well. So they were praying and they were proclaiming. Now, God had a good day on the day of Pentecost. Good job, God. You got 3,000 people into the church. 3,000 converts. I can't do that. I preached 3,000 sermons. I can't even get one person into the church. Peter stands up, preaches one sermon, and 3,000 come into the church. You see, it is God the Holy Spirit who makes converts. Shall I say that again? We do not make converts. We were never asked to make converts. We were asked to make disciples. It's the Holy Spirit who brings converts into the church. Our job is to pray and to proclaim. But you see, as you proclaim, you authenticate the message. Now what do I mean by that? You authenticate the message as you pray and proclaim. There is no theological understanding or revelation or uh, no theology in the Acts of the Apostles about how to do evangelism, how to do church planting. In fact, I thought this. I thought, well, what did they have? What did they have? And then I reversed the question in my mind. I thought, well, what didn't they have? Well, I'll tell you what they didn't have. They didn't have money. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have think tanks. They didn't have mission strategies. They didn't have schools. They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have all the things that make us secure and confident so that we can do without God. All they had was God, the Holy Spirit. And what happened was the whole thing just exploded. It just took off. It was just astonishing. In a minute, I just want to do something I don't normally do. I want to just go through a few Bible texts to show you the geography, the, the, the growth of the church. But proclaiming authenticates our message. We have got to pray and proclaim. We can't make converts. I'm standing outside Wimbledon Palais de Dance. I used to go there. Oscar Raven with Dennis Lotus and Lita Rosa. Anybody remember those names? Lovely voices they had. I used to love going down there, listening to them sing. And then I became a Christian. I always find that funny, you know. Life is so much more fun. And then I became a Christian. (laughs) It all ended then. I just became... I don't have any fun now, you know, I'm in the word now. You know, I used to be the life and soul of the party. I don't even get invited to the party now. (laughs) So I've become a Christian and I'm standing outside Wimbledon Palais de Dance with a bunch of other guys preaching the gospel and giving out evangelistic tracts. When around the corner came my best friend, Johnny Barnard, and all my mates... <laughs> what do you say? I mean, they effed and blinded at me, to be honest. 
I said, oh, I've become a Christian. I've, I've given my life to Jesus. But the weird thing was, I mean, they went off and said I'd gone mental. They said he's gone mad. The weird thing was, as I proclaimed, at that point, I wasn't very sure if I was a Christian or not. But as I said it, I believed it. Now listen, David said, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Some of us need to speak and then we believe. You get it? I have spoken, therefore I believe. And that's why I think when we share our testimony, when we proclaim, we say, oh, blimey, I really do believe this stuff, don't I? (laughs) Anybody else have a similar testimony (laughs) to that? And then you find that same pattern of prayer, proclamation, power, and multiplication. It happens in Acts 2, and then it happens in Acts 3, uh, with the lame man. They're going to the temple to pray. They begin to proclaim, because this man comes, who's uh, wants arms and he gets legs. <laughs> And then the power comes. And then all these people, they just get saved. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Listen. At this time, Peter stood up and there were 120 people. Now, I found this out in the Greek. The 120 people, it says 120 names is what it actually says. So they all knew their names. Right? We all know our names in this church, and we should do. I don't. I stand behind even. I say, what's that? What's that? We're with a smaller church, so you know their names. But then the church begins to grow. So then those who had, been, who had received his word were baptized, and there were added 3,000 souls. It doesn't say names. <laughs> There's too many. 3,120 now. And then it says, day by day. Those who were being saved were adding to the number in the church. So in normative church, God adds daily. Then it says, many of those who'd heard the message believed, and the number of the men, because being Jewish church, they only counted the men, came to 5,000. Then it says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added. Not multitudes. Now, uh, the word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient. So it's now moving into multiplication. This gospel is... And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and the whole city turned to the Lord. That's what it says, the whole lot of them. I don't know how that happens. It might be because they lived a more corporate lifestyle, and our lifestyle is very privatised over here, isn't it? Everything we do, it's all kind of tends towards individualism. In those days, you know, when the jailer got converted, you remember Paul said, you and all your household will be saved. So it's like somehow there was some other thing at work. 
but the whole city of Lydda, they are all saved. And it goes on and on. And I will just read. You see, brother, this is a boast from the church as Paul and Barnabas come to Jerusalem to tell them how well they're getting on with all the Gentiles. And they answer, they have a boast. Say, you see how many thousands, myriads is the word. Do you know what a myriad is? I looked it up. A myriad is 10,000 people. How many myriads of those who have believed in Jerusalem? This is fantastic. This is growth. This is multiplication. This is normative church. The thing just exploded and took off. Now is that happening today? Well it is actually. It is. I haven't got Peter Briley's figures. Uh, You might know them Peter, wherever you are. But uh, the church is exploding. I've forgotten the number of people a day who, who are getting converted. It is happening. It's just not happening over here. Now why why did what was it about this church? What, what was it? You see, they had a thing called fish cleaning. Descaling, they called it. Um, I can assure you I got this information off my new tablet, my iPad. So it is accurate. <laughs> and do you know they would not let you break bread in the early church for three years? They wouldn't let you break bread for three years because they were not afraid, but they didn't want the converts not to be able to face the persecution and the almost certain death that many Christians would have faced. See, becoming a Christian in the early church was a matter of life and death. So, you know, I said before, when Constantine came and legalized the whole procedure and, and saved us from persecution and released us into popularity, we began to lose the thing. And the very thing that was purifying and causing people to become disciples was the thing that was taken away in the end. Now we're doing our best, aren't we, with Alpha and uh, any other personal follow-up that we may be doing. But in the early church, you see, the thing was almost sorted because you didn't dare become a Christian. You saw somebody walking down the road with a cross, you knew that they'd be dead within 24 hours. So the thing just spread. They had no technological tools, tools. They had no proven leaders. They were utterly free from the things that make us trust in ourselves. They were driven by God. I noticed this, that the Holy Spirit brought diversity. And I love this about God, don't you? You know, we're not all soldiers lined up in the same uniform. I said before, this, is, this church is not one size fits all. God totally loves diversity. He doesn't want one language. He loves other languages. That's why he broke up the Tower of Babel. 
See, why didn't God give us all on the day of Pentecost the gift of understanding Hebrew? Then we would have got it, wouldn't we? He could have done it that way. We all speak Hebrew. But he didn't. All these different tongues, all these different languages, which prove that God loves multiculturalism. He loves diversity. You can see that stuff on the telly, on the news, that going down to the depths of that and seeing those things that we've never seen before. My goodness. It's all the stuff that God, God had said anyway in the Bible. God loves diversity. He loves doing things differently. I, I He says things like, um, I'll hide, I'll hide these things from the wise and the intelligent and I'll reveal them to babes. I'm going to hide myself from arrogant, clever, religious people, is what Jesus said, and I'll reveal myself to people like Galileans. I could never understand it when we started a church where people who were who were drunk when we prayed for them and God touched them, who were on drugs when we prayed for them and God the Spirit touched them. I could never understand this diversity, this difference. I remember we started a youth, turned out to be men who are leaders of churches and doing all kinds of things today. And they, before they were Christians... They used to go to Roger Mitchell's house and come to my house and Yvonne. And one night a whole lot of them came in. They were drug addicts, they were pushing drugs, they were all sorts. And one of my friends came along as an evangelist to, to speak to them. And when he spoke, he said, I've been listening to you lot. He said, I found out what your favourite word is. Now I won't tell you what it is, but if you come to me afterwards, I'll tell you what the swear word was. He said, you love this swear word. He said, I've heard it. Uh, then he explained it. He said, it, actually, it's a fusion of two words, which means violent sex. But he got their attention. He was speaking their language. They all heard in their own language. And we have got to be able to communicate to people today in language that they understand. I mean, I might not understand it. Culturally, we're all different. Do you want to know what my favorite word is? He said, he said, Gordon, he said, it's Jesus. And he preached the gospel. And all these kids, some of them, Chris and Wendy, you know them. They're in the church. They're leaders. And they came for a swear word testimony. Sermon, I thought. Oh, God, I'm going to die. But they heard it in their own language. See, God loves diversity. And he brings... Finally, because our time has just gone, he brings fire and wind, and the wind of God is coming to clear the way for us, as it did with the Red Sea when the wind came and there was a pathway of freedom opened uh, for the church. The wind came uh, in Ezekiel when the dry bones were there and an army was formed. It says, and the wind came, and the wind came when Elijah fought off 450 false prophets of Baal. It says the wind came. But the wind came. 
And then it says the still small voice of God. Now I want this violent sound of a wind to go through the church. I want it. I want it. But I don't want to become wedded to it. And I don't want to become wedded to a fantasy. And I don't want to live in a dream world. But I believe this. I believe that when those tongues settled on each of their heads, because you see, historically, they followed a pillar of fire. So nationally, corporately, they saw the fire. But now, personally, the fire has come on their head. And personally, for you and me, God has settled not just on our heads, but in our guts, in our bellies. He can't get any further within us. He's so inside of us, we don't even notice him. That's what the Bible says. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus this morning, you have got the Holy Spirit within you. And it's not just a once-off. Time and again, we need to be filled again and again. Again, I haven't got time to explain it all now, but my brothers and sisters, this wonderful sermon of Peter where he says, Repent. Repent towards God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit. And when we repent, we are turning to God. Yes, we're turning away from our sins, but if we think we're just turning away from our sins, we'll get conscious of our sins and we'll place ourselves under legalism and the law and we'll just think that Christianity is being don't spit, don't chew, don't go with boys who do. And it's more than that. It's the infusion of a new powerful dynamic, a new heart, a new spirit. It's the anointing of God that lifts us above this blast off. You've taken off. Oh yeah, you're still there. This morning, why don't you take what's yours in the Holy Spirit? Why don't you let the Holy Spirit fill you again and again? I got up, I don't know what time this morning, four o'clock. It's Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need the anointing. So do you. Let's stand together.